Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're going to talk about estrogen. Oh, musical Amy's back. <laughs> always. <laughs> she is always there. <laughs> what is estrogen? Where is it made? How does it metabolize? We are here to answer all of your burning questions. And this is going to be a part one of our unnumbered series, so it's just a part, on hormones. Since different sexes have different hormones, we want to point out that today we're going to talk about estrogen in relation to the bodies of people assigned female at birth. And we are excited. Very, very, well, it did not seem, we're excited. (laughs) (laughs) If you had seen my face, it would have made more sense. (laughs) Because the science is riveting. Ooh. And of course, of course, as we always say, we are not hormone experts. We're not doctors. We're not anything more than two people with raging hormone problems ourselves. So we're experts on having raging hormones, but not (laughs) experts on what those raging hormones mean. (laughs) And we have a passionate interest to learn about our bodies so that we can empower ourselves in a world of medical dismissal and misinformation. Lived it and done with it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Like we often say, we are not experts, which means we can get something wrong. And if we do, then just go ahead and shame us. Oh, no, please don't. (laughs) Okay, no, no, just kidding. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Please don't do that. That would be actually really cruel and mean. That's not very constructive. Yeah. (laughs) No, but please reach out if we have something wrong and then let us know so that we can look into it and we can correct it if we have any misinformation. We do a lot of research to get credible information, but that doesn't mean that we cannot make a mistake. Speaking of mistakes. (gasps) (laughs) Oh, God, no. (laughs) Yeah. So when we listened back after recording this episode, we realized that we pronounced one of the names of estrogen incorrectly. What? In this episode? Yeah. Shame on us. No. Self-compassion shame is not constructive. It oh, helps yeah, yeah. no one. You're right. Okay. I got to reel in the self-talk. You stupid idiot. No, no. No. Okay. No. So what's the name of the estrogen that you got wrong? The name of the estrogen that we got wrong <laughs> is estradiol. Oh, what did we say? Estradiol. Potato, potato. Honestly, meat. it looks right. Tomato, so. tomato. Okay. <laughs> the amount of things we listen to pronunciations, I'm just going to say that there's mixed reviews on the pronunciation, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to say, shame on me. No, no, no. no. I'm going to say that I'm pretty sure I'm the one who told Brittany it was pronounced <laughs> yeah. Stradiol. She was like, yeah. I think it's Estradiol. I was like, it's a Stradiol. <laughs> so. It's not a huge deal. Okay. Shake I mean, it off. The pronunciation is wrong for like you know, a key word throughout the whole entire episode. But (laughs) but the facts are not incorrect. The facts are absolutely the same. The pronunciation is just a little bit different. 
So you all know us and how much we like to talk and how much information we love to shove into these episodes. God, I'm so tired. (laughs) (laughs) So much information. We couldn't fit it all. So we wanted to let you know that in upcoming episodes, we're going to be talking about progesterone and testosterone and natural ways to help us support those hormones. And then in an additional episode, we're also going to talk about hormone replacement therapy and testing your hormone levels. Those are all be part of the series, the unnumbered ones in an unnumbered series, because who knows how many we're going to have. We love this topic. (laughs) Okay, so why are we doing this episode? I want to clarify that this episode is not about endometriosis or treating endometriosis or managing endometriosis symptoms or anything like that. And also, we talked about endometriosis in relation to estrogen in episode 55, so please go check that out. This episode today is to share what I've been learning about estrogen because right now I'm dealing with histamine intolerance and mass activation syndrome, and hormones can play a big role in these symptoms and in these conditions, and they definitely are for me. So my focus in these last few months has been working with a natural path on my hormones. I tested my hormones and we're working on lowering my estrogen and increasing my progesterone. So as we talked in episode 55, estrogen is not bad and we need estrogen for many aspects of our life. But if we have too much estrogen in the body or, you know, we don't have the balance that we need in relation to progesterone, it can lead to symptoms like PMS or heavy periods or, in my case, higher histamine. And there's many different reasons why a person can have too much estrogen or too much in relation to progesterone, from, you know, a person not ovulating, to the ovaries or other tissues producing too much estrogen, to problems with estrogen metabolism, or other things. So today we're going to talk about what I've been learning about estrogen metabolism, but this episode is not aimed to make anyone run out and get their hormones tested. And also I mentioned in the episode that I used the Dutch hormone test. And that's because with my doctor, we specifically wanted to see my estrogen metabolites. But in mentioning this test today, I'm also not implying that anyone needs to go get this test done. There's criticisms about the Dutch test. It's likely not necessary as most of the same information can be gathered from blood tests with an endocrinologist. And it is also way more expensive than the standard blood tests that are often covered by insurance. So I put a review of the Dutch test in the show notes if you're thinking about getting one. And I wish that I had had this information before doing the Dutch test. But honestly, I did not know anything about the Dutch test. And this was the test that my naturopath used. And I was working with a naturopath at the time for my mass activation syndrome. And so I probably could have got similar information from standard blood tests at a much cheaper price. But unfortunately, that's just not how my care played out. So I just want to be clear that while today I'm going to share about what I learned, I'm definitely not saying that anyone needs to buy this test or get this test. And I definitely, definitely recommend that you read up on it before doing it so that if you're thinking about doing it, you can see, is it really necessary? So again, my focus with learning about my hormones has not been for any reason related to endometriosis. Rather, it's to try to get control of my specific histamine situation. 
All right, Brittany, let's start. Where is estrogen made? Um, inside of us. All right, good job. I can work <laughs> <Wait>. with that. <laughs> Gold star for me. Okay, so estrogen is primarily made in the... I know that one. It's the ovaries. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. So when a person is cycling, which means that person is getting their period and their menstrual cycle, hence cycling. So when a person is cycling, estrogen is primarily made in the... Ovaries. Perfect. All right. When a person goes through menopause, estrogen levels drop because the ovaries are producing much less estrogen. They're very tired. They've been working for a very long time. (laughs) They're like, we're retired now. We're done. We're not working. Our output is much less. We don't have to sustain ourselves. We're living off of the estrogen just floating around inside of us now. (laughs) Our 401k plan estrogen. (laughs) No more company match. We're done. We're tapped out. When a person is postmenopausal, estrogen production shifts almost completely to a process called aromatization. And aromatization is also happening when the person is cycling. So aromatization is making estrogen in combination with the ovaries when the person is cycling. And then when the person becomes postmenopausal, estrogen is primarily made from aromatization. If you heard our episode about the relationship with endometriosis and estrogen, we explained more in depth about what aromatization is. And basically, we explained about how this is how endo-endometriosis dragons make their own estragold. If you didn't hear that episode, you're probably wondering what the heck estragold is. (laughs) So we recommend you going back and listening. (laughs) And we'll just leave the explanation at that. Endo-dragons make estragold and moving on. No, no. (laughs) But in this explanation, let's leave the dragons in their previous episode and we'll just go pure science. No dragons? No dragons this time. You got all your dragon and gold out and silver last time. (laughs) The quick definition, since I feel so limited by Brittany, is that that via aromatization, testosterone is converted to estrogen. And that is via the enzyme called aromatase, which is found in places like fat tissue, the brain, blood vessels, skin, bone, and of course, our favorite thing in the body. Drum roll, please. (laughs) Endodragons, commonly known by their medical scientific term, endometriosis. All right, Brittany, question time. (laughs) How many major estrogens are there in the body? Well, I've heard of two, so I'm going to say two. I'm going to say nope. (gasps) There's more? (laughs) There's three main estrogens in the body. Ooh, learning time. I'm excited. What estrogens do you know about? Well, I know about estradiol, which is our main estrogen and our most potent estrogen. (laughs) So I also know that it's the predominant estrogen in premenopausal people. Excellent, Brittany. Why don't you tell me about the next estrogen that you are aware of? So the second estrogen that I know about is estriol. And that is produced in high amounts when a person becomes pregnant. It's 80 times less potent than estradiol, but it's still there. Do you mean less potent or do you mean less potent? Less potent. It's less potent. It sounds like a witchy potion. That's <laughs> why I want to say it that way. <laughs> I feel like everything to do with hormones, endometriosis just has to do. Like, I feel like we've talked a lot about witches, 
dragons, potions, curses. There's a lot of beautiful mystical things to describe the horror story that's going on inside of us. I feel like we should write Netflix and say, hey, we have a really good idea. Ooh, pitch for them an, an idea. Exactly. For an upcoming TV series. We're going to call it Once Upon a Cycle. <laughs> and then starring a small red dragon who breathes fire. Oh, is it his quest to become the biggest dragon in the land? Because I feel like that's what they all aim to do. <laughs> I don't think he wants to become the biggest dragon. I think he wants to burn down all the land. <laughs> <laughs> This isn't a fun. I His thought it was going to be a fun to series. Wage war along the lands, and he works in conjunction with three wizards called Estradiol, Estrone, and Estriol. The bad wizards or the good wizards, depending on how their magic is being used. You'd have all of the dragon's minions named Sibo. You'd have the army of adhesions which would lop those rocks, you know, in that, like... Like trebuchets? Ancient... Oh, I, I don't know what the name Catapults. is. Catapults. But yeah, like the ancient <laughs> catapult. <laughs> the random knowledge I have in here of medieval <laughs> artillery. I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> You'd have queen adenomyosis. <laughs> and then we have the brave and fearless fighter, the excision specialist who comes to rid the land of the dragon. That sounds like a really good show. Can they make that? Instead of pulling out his sword, he pulls out his excision laser. And his robot arm. (laughs) (laughs) My God, I would watch that show. Yeah, come on. Netflix, pick us up. I feel like I've been living in that show for about 16 years. (laughs) Yeah, you already have enough content. Like, they just have to draw it. I'll just write it. (laughs) So back to Estriol. So leaving our series behind. My speculation. Yeah, we were just waiting for your speculation. (laughs) (laughs) I have to give my opinion. (laughs) My very important. My humble opinion, not so humble. (laughs) Give it to us. My not so humble opinion is that Estriol is sad. And Estriol is like a younger sibling to Estradiol and Estrone, which we'll explain in a minute. But Estrone is the other, the third estrogen. But basically, Estradiol and Estrone can become Estriol. Ooh. Yeah. But Estriol cannot become them. Oh, You see? It's left out. I know. And that's why my speculation is that it's like a sad younger sibling. It's like, oh, I want to be like my older siblings. And they're like, we're going to go out to the party. We're going to dress with black eyeliner and a leather jacket and They sound really cool. I know. They're really cool. (laughs) And you're like, okay, you can stay home with your stuffed animals and you can watch that new Netflix series on about the dragons and the knight with the robotic arm and the laser. (laughs) Just like what I want to go to. Why you can't. That's so mean. We'll take it up with human biology, Brittany. Okay. The third estrogen that we're going to talk about is estrone. So as we mentioned, estradiol is the main estrogen in cycling people, and it is the most potent. You mean the most potent. The most potent. Yes. <laughs> Estradiol is 80 times more potent, potent than estriol. Wow. 80 times. Jeez. But what about estrone? So there's less estrone circulating and cycling people than estradiol. But an excess of estrone can still increase the risk for estrogen-dominant cancers as well as symptoms of estrogen dominance just like estradiol can. Estrone is the predominant estrogen in postmenopausal people. So estradiol and estrone can become each other. Remember how we were saying that estriol was all left out? It was 
the younger sibling who was at home and sad and binge-watching our Netflix series. Well, Estrone and Estradiol are the two that are dressed up and going out. They can become each other, so Estrone can become Estradiol, and Estradiol can become Estrone. Wouldn't that be so cool if Brittany could become Amy, and then Amy could become Brittany, and then I'm like, hi, I'm Amy, hi, I'm Brittany, hi, I'm Amy, hi, I'm Brittany. Okay, one, my voice doesn't sound like that. (laughs) Well, how do you know what your voice sounds like? I hear it on our podcast. (laughs) Good point. And second, I don't think anybody signed up for the circus that that would be if that was possible. If now I'm Brittany and now I'm Amy, as Amy says it, I don't think anybody signed up for that show, okay? That sounds like a mess. That would actually be really confusing on the Netflix show. You'd have the character playing Estrella. You'd have to be like twins, but they were slightly different. (laughs) Then you'd have the character playing Estrone, and then all of a sudden they would look the same and then they would swap outfits and they'd be like, no, now I'm Estrone, now I'm Estradio. And be like, I am so confused. I cannot follow this plot. They'd have to wear like a little name tag. <laughs> the series would be canceled because nobody could understand the plot twist. <laughs> we don't need that. Okay, Brittany, give us a quick summary of what we've learned because they're kind of confusing since their names all start with E. They're like, Estradio, Estrone, Estrio. It's confusing. I can't follow. Okay, it's fair. They really are confusing. But they're also called E1. E2 and E3. Oh my God, that makes it so much (laughs) Much easier to follow than saying their actual names. Okay, I have an idea. During your short summary, I'm going to rename them. They'll be the names of our wizards in our Netflix series. Aww. Okay, so estrone, which is E1, is the predominant estrogen during menopause. Ah, then I shall rename estrone to be bloodless E. Oh my Okay, okay, okay. So E2 is estradiol, which is the most potent estrogen and the main one during a person's cycling years. I shall rename estradiol to be strong E. (laughs) I love this. Okay, now last we have estriol, which is obviously E3. It's weak. A weak baby. 80 times weaker than estradiol, and it's produced from estradiol or estrone, but cannot be them. Estriol is produced in high amounts during pregnancy. Okay, I shall rename Estriol to be one-way shape-shifting E. That is a long name. Okay. okay. <laughs> what do you think about cannot become the other wizards, That's E? the same length. <laughs> Ooh, I think I'm going to combine them. Okay, so, oh, no. Uh, so Estriol shall henceforth, <laughs> henceforth be known among the, in the kingdom as one-way shape-shifting cannot become other wizards, E. You could have just gone with shape-shifting. <laughs> <laughs> no, non-shape-shifting. <laughs> could have just gone with chameleon or I don't know. <laughs> just anything is better than that. <laughs> so now that we've given you all a taste of what estrogen is, we want to move on to something really fascinating, which is how estrogen is actually metabolized in our bodies. So I didn't actually realize this until we learned about hormones, but estrogen actually gets metabolized inside of us and leaves our bodies. Oh my God, it's abandoning us. So how does it do that? Well, ultimately, estrogen goes through this process inside of our bodies that results in us pooping it out. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. So you mean, oh, wait a minute. There's estrogen in my poop? I mean, I'm not sure if it's in... Every poop, but yes, in overall poop in general, yes, there's estrogen in your poop. Oh my gosh, wow, you just made my day. So you're telling me that estrogen passes through my anus. I, 
Y- yeah. <laughs> yep, I'm confirming that. <laughs> Didn't know you were going to phrase it that way, but yeah, you're not wrong. No, it's just, you know, when you think of hormones and you think of estrogen, you're like, oh, my ovaries and my PMS and my period blood. You're just never thinking like, ooh, estrogen is coming out through my bowels, through my anus, in my poop. I'm just flabbergasted. I'm just so, <laughs> wow, you did one out me, Brittany. And it oh, was worth it. Ooh. Or you won downed me. Yeah, like which which direction won, was this? I won me. pooed you. <laughs> <laughs> I pooed up you. <laughs> okay, okay. But let's back up a little bit in the process, pre-anus. But let's not like back up our anus No, and get please don't do that. No, so no. what do you mean by back up? We're going to back up the, the, walk up the bowel structure. We're just going to start. And look where it starts, okay? We'll eventually make it through the anus again. Don't worry. So before it passes through the anus, as Amy succinctly put it, it must first go through a phase one and phase two detoxification in our livers. So we went up to the liver, and we're going to still come out the anus, Amy. Don't worry. (laughs) All right, fine. But now we're going to talk about the liver. Yes. Well, I guess that makes sense now because the liver is where toxins and drugs and alcohol and chemicals and all kinds of things are processed like that's the processing plant of the body so apparently your liver detoxifies and processes your hormones too Mm -hmm. oh my god i didn't know that the more you know my liver is so important (laughs) gotta take care of the baby liver no one can see me, but I'm actually holding my liver. I'm petting, <laughs> <She is. laughs> I'm petting my liver right now. I'm like, be good. kind to your liver. Good baby. <laughs> good baby. You're a good kitty. Okay, so just to be clear also, the estrogen that we're referring to here is the estrone and the estradiol. They're both converted in the liver into metabolites. When you say metabolite, is it related to metabolism? But it's like metabol. Light, like the like <laughs> the, the light, light version. version, like the sugar-free, fat-free version. Or so. By the way, don't buy sugar-free. Don't fat do that free. to yourself. <laughs> sugar-free, fat-free is lo- fat-free is usually loaded with more sugar, and sugar-free is usually loaded with fake sweetening chemicals. So it's better to just go for the real thing. Yeah, if you want to do it, just indulge. Just, just do, do it. it. Just do the real deal, and no shame. Oh heck, no. So a metabolite is not a light version of a metabolism. So a metabolite is what something breaks down into after it's metabolized in the liver. Oh, so when you take estrogen and then you metabolize it mm-hmm. and then you get estrogen's metabolites. Exactly. Which are metabolized versions of estrogen. You get it. Thank you. I'm so smart. Of course I do. <laughs> no one doubted me. Just me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just... I doubted myself. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> okay. There's no doubt or shame on this show. So now we're going to make this a little bit more complex, but hopefully not too complicated. We're going to talk about three metabolites that estrogen can be metabolized into. So these are 2-hydroxy-E1, 4-hydroxy-E1, and 16-hydroxy-E1. Okay. So what if we just say... 2, 4, and 16 for short. Absolutely. Even though it's really 2-hydroxy-1, 4-hydroxy-1, 16 Can we just say 2, 4, 16? Yes. It'll be a lot less words and a lot <laughs> more easy to understand. Okay. <laughs> so the first one we'll talk about is 2. And generally speaking, number 2 is considered the safest and the one we want more of our estrogen to be metabolized into. We want like 60 to 80% of our estrogen to become number 2. 
All right. Lucky number two. Bring it home. Lots of number twos in our lives. (laughs) Oh, you're right. It is a lucky Mm. number two. (laughs) Now, metabolite four is considered less favorable because in excess production, it can be potentially harmful to our DNA. You know, that makes sense. It made me think of when I lived in Japan. So in Japan and in many East Asian cultures, the number four is considered unlucky. Ooh, like R13 in Western cultures? Yes. Why is 13 considered unlucky? I actually don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think probably various stories have contributed to its unluckiness over time. I'm not sure it has a one reason like some other unlucky numbers in different cultures have. Well, in Japan, things are much simpler than we made the number 13. So the number four in Japanese is unlucky because it's the same pronunciation as the word death. Whoa, really? Yes. And in Japan, sometimes, like the way we are with the number 13, so sometimes buildings and hospitals, they don't have a fourth floor, or there's no number four in the elevator because there is no fourth floor, or there's no room number four. So as you can see, there's a long history of the number four being unwanted. Well, this and tracks. Bad. This tracks. So it makes sense that even though these things have nothing to do with each other, they make sense in my mind. <laughs> the number two is good because we like to do number twos and number four <laughs> is bad because four is unlucky in many East Asian cultures. Makes sense to me. <laughs> and the third one we mentioned, 16, is also something that our estrogen can be metabolized into. And like number four, this one is also considered less favorable because in excess production, it can be potentially harmful to us. But for this one, we don't have any cool number associations. Hmm. Maybe the 16 reminds me of the 16 terrible years that it took me to get diagnosed. So the process of the estrogen being metabolized into these three metabolites is the detoxification process in phase one. So if we aren't metabolizing our estrogen well, then estrogen that was supposed to be metabolized to leave the body can actually go back into the bloodstream. (gasps) The audacity. I know, which can result in raised estrogen levels. The horror. The audacity. The rudeness. But, there's always a but with the number two and with this, but there are things we can do to support our estrogen metabolism. Like, we can eat cruciferous vegetables. Ooh. Amy, do you want to name some cruciferous vegetables for us all? I feel like cruciferous vegetables are not a favorite for many of us. But they're helpful for our bodies. Because they include things like broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale, cabbage. Oh, wait, the kale. The all-powerful The end-all-be-all. <laughs> cures all chronic illnesses, <laughs> kale. Okay, so maybe it is our favorite thing ever. <laughs> so we have broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale. Cabbage, collard greens, and bok choy. Ooh, lots to choose from. First, I just want to say I do like a good roasted broccoli in the oven with olive oil and garlic, although now I can't eat garlic, so bye-bye garlic. That's sad (laughs) for me. Histamine hates you. I like some good sliced and roasted Brussels sprouts, personally. Ooh, you know, Mm. I like Brussels sprouts, but if I eat them, it produces very sharp pains in my rectum. How rude. Thank you, rectal endal. I mean, recto endo. I mean... (laughs) Rectal endo. I mean, rectal endo. (laughs) Yeah, I get a lot of gas pain. Thank you. You know, just take a walk and usually that works itself. Well, it's funny because all these other ones, like, mm, I don't eat kale because it makes me feel sick. 
the kale. Same. Kale <laughs> makes me sick. But I do eat purple cabbage. That tastes really good with oh, cumin. Yeah. Not that I can have cumin anymore. Goodbye spices and all good things in life. Histamine <laughs> hates you. But it's funny because like all the other cruciferous vegetables don't affect the rectal endo. But if I eat Brussels sprouts, wow. it is serious game over. The pain is even now after excision and I'm having much less pain than before. The Brussels sprouts are intolerable. Like they wow. cannot be eaten. That's wild how different things do different things in our bodies. It still never ceases to amaze. I'm sure it has to do with the gas. Probably. <laughs> even like cook them well. All right, Brittany, so why is it recommended if people are having trouble with the phase one detoxification in the liver of the estrogen? So why can cruciferous vegetables be considered helpful? That's a great question. So cruciferous vegetables actually contain something called I3C, and I3C actually gets metabolized into DIM or DIM. So DIM increases the conversion of estrogen to the 2-hydroxy-E1, or our Two, number two. Oh, the safer one. The, the safe lucky one. number two. Yes. Ooh, so DIM helps it take the right highway out. <laughs> yes. So that's why some health providers also promote taking DIM or I3C directly because it can help convert it to the number we want. And just as a reminder, what Amy and I are saying now is just general guidelines, not specific medical advice. When trying to help hormones, we always recommend getting a proper hormone testing done, which we'll actually talk about in our episode on hormone replacement therapy, and that you work with a qualified healthcare professional. None of what we're saying is actual medical advice. Really? We're not doctors? No. Darn. Unfortunately. Can I be a doctor on the Netflix series? No. Oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> So, for example, cruciferous vegetables may not be recommended for people with thyroid problems. And we wouldn't know about your full medical history, so we can't recommend medical options for you. So that's why it's necessary to check with your doctor first before you make any changes to your supplements, diet, or health plan. Research is key. Well, I'm actually working with a doctor right now, so I am under medical advice by a doctor. Yeah. So what I'm doing for my own estrogen is being done under professional medical advice, which is great because as we are doing this episode and as I'm doing self-learning to try to understand and be empowered and to advocate for myself, I realized that, gosh, all of this stuff with the hormones is so confusing. And that's why we are doing about five different episodes on our hormones because in our original plan was to do one episode on the hormones. And we were like, no, impossible. There are so many things that influence hormones. There are so many different hormones in the body. There are so many things that happen with hormones, like they have to get metabolized and different parts of the body can impair that or support that or inhibit that. And so for me, it's been really helpful to work with a natural path. And in our work together, I did hormone testing. So I did the Dutch hormone test. And we're going to talk more about the different types of hormone tests in our episode on hormone replacement therapy. So that is upcoming. So it's just to say for now that I have done the Dutch hormone test and I do know that my estrogen is metabolizing down the preferred, the 2-hydroxy-E1 pathway. Ooh, look at your body go. <gasps> Congratulations <laughs> to my estrogen. Good job. Good job, liver. Good you're, job, estrogen. You're doing something right. We are so proud of you. I want to. I want It's been a long time coming. The body is always doing so many things wrong. I just want to We got to celebrate. And be overjoyed. We're going to have a party we're gonna a two have e one party a, a two hydroxy one party we're gonna have a cake it's gonna have the big number two on it we're gonna have two balloons 
two candles, two everything's two, two toilets next to each other. <laughs> I, I mean, to, that's a little weird, but we'll allow it. When I have to poo, I'm going to get on one, then I'm going to in the middle jump to the other. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. It's your party. Like this is the weirdest party so, we've. Strange party. You're probably going <laughs> to attend it by yourself, but it's your party. <laughs> So the test recommends that 60 to 80% of the estrogen metabolizes into the number two pathway, and 90% of mine is going down the number two pathway. I see why you want to celebrate. (laughs) It's fair. So in my own case, my doctor didn't recommend DIM or I3C for me because those help with supporting the number two pathway, which mine is doing very well at. Very well. Yes, it's a straight-A student. It is a 90%. Oh, that's an A, isn't it? 90% an A. It's an A student. Wow, how accomplished. Thank you, liver. It's going to get into a good college if it wants. (laughs) Thank you, liver. Thank you so much. (laughs) Alrighty, so we've moved out of phase one, which was the S. Amy doing a really good job at her phase one. Amy did an amazing job in her body at phase one. Thank you. 90% A+. I've never done anything good in my body, so I'm just really... (laughs) Gonna relish that, <laughs> like the internal body, like the yes. inside workings of the body. <laughs> the like, body has never done a ninety percent. Like the at gut anything. doesn't work, the bladder doesn't work very well. None of the things work very well. So I'm just, I'm really overjoyed. So could you? I'll let you have your moment. Can you read, say your yeah exit and intro into the next topic? Yes. So that was phase one, which Amy does a really good job at. Thank you. Which was our estrogen being metabolized into two hydroxy E one. 4-hydroxy-E1 or 16-hydroxy-E1. Which Amy does a really good job at. Yes. Good job, Amy. (laughs) Amy, good job. (laughs) So after phase one, we go on to phase two, which is methylation. So methylation is a biochemical process which involves the transfer of an active methyl group between molecules. Oh my, Brittany. Okay, so methylation is kind of a buzzword. So I've heard methylation, like, oh, your methylation. Ooh, the methylation. Oh, your up and coming methylation. Like, <laughs> I, but people are talking a lot about methylation in the science field. But like, what is it? But what you just, like, I know you just gave a definition of what methylation is because you were like, it involves the transfer of an active methyl group. But like, what? What are you <laughs> what talking? Mean? What are you talking about? <laughs> To put it down into a really simple, basic way that kind of made it make sense to us. Yeah, I want simple. Yeah, we're going to say that the process of methylation is like the passing of the baton in a race. So the first molecule has the baton of the methyl group, and it passes it to the next person in the race. Oh, the transfer. Yes. So that transfer of the active methyl group between molecules is the passing of the baton through the runners. That's the easiest way I could understand it because it's really difficult to understand. But methylation is important. It's required for cell division, histamine clearance, ding, ding, ding for Amy. (laughs) Yep. Histamine clearance. And detoxification, hormone clearance, which is what we're talking about, and quite a few other processes in the body. So for estrogen, you can imagine that methylation neutralizes the estrogen metabolites and helps them move into their next phase of life. With poor methylation, the estrogen metabolites can be recirculated, go back up into the body, instead of moving on to Amy's favorite phase, phase three, the elimination. Gosh, these darn estrogens are so sneaky. (laughs) Oh my gosh, so you said that with poor methylation, the metabolites can be recirculated in Mm -hmm. the body. 
They are looking for every single opportunity to not any pass reason to stay the anus they don't and to stay leave. in the body. Don't these estrogens know that there is a whole big world out there in the sewer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, what an adventure! They're going to leave the body. They're going to go to the toilet. They're going to go to the sewer. Don't they want to go swimming? Don't they want to feel the warm sewer ocean okay. washing uh, over no. their feet? <laughs> now, now you lost me. <laughs> I was going to say, don't they want to travel, you know, just go abroad somewhere to a new sewer system that isn't the body they were born in? Don't they want to break out of their comfort zone? Yeah. I mean, I don't understand these estrogens. They're just comfy where they are. That's true. I'd be in my bathroom, my fluffy socks inside of the body. Like, I'm not getting up. I've been watching my Netflix series. You ain't (laughs) going to get my butt out of this couch. Okay. Well, that's probably how 16-hydroxy-1E feels because he's the only one who cannot be methylated out of the body. So two and four are being shoved out of the nest. Meanwhile, 16's like, nah, I got the next series on load. I'm good to go. I don't got to go anywhere. That thing comes up on autoplay. Okay, I don't have <laughs> to push a button. That's how 16 feels. <laughs> Brittany, remember I was all super happy about the pathways and the phase one detoxification. That A you have? Yeah. Yes. And all my 90% of my estrogen was going down pathway two, the, the safer pathway. And I was all, woohoo, this is the best. And I was having my party with the two toilets. Yes, I vividly remember the two-toilet party. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, um, so here's the thing. Now we're talking about the phase two detoxification, mm-hmm. right? The methylation of the estrogen. Yes. Well, uh-oh. My body really, really sucks oh. at methylation. It's really bad. So it's like in high school, you were an A student, and then you went to college, and you were an F student? Is that what that's like? <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Phase one, phase I did really good. School. And then phase two. Not so hot. Yeah. Oh, I'm so, sorry. I know. So are you guessing that your body's failing at methylation or how did you find this out? Don't you listen. I said, Brittany, that I did the Dutch hormone test. And this uh... is one of the things that they measure on the Dutch test. There is a gauge, which is kind of like a little gas tank. And your gauge was at E for empty. And it's so cute. Yeah, it's so cute, the little gauge. And it's like low, high. And it's so cute, except when it gives you the bad news that your methylation is really low. And it's it's sitting there perched on the very edge of the low. And you're like, really? It's that low? And it's like, yes, these are the test results. Is it broken? Flicks the paper. Are you sure? Is it working? (laughs) Flicks paper. It's not changing. It's not changing. Let me change this PDF to Word and see if if anything will change then. Maybe the graphic is bad. Maybe it's backwards. (laughs) Nope. It's just empty. Oh, poor Amy's body. So what does having poor methylation mean? This whole process, you know, is a long system to get the estrogen out of the body through the anus. Sorry, your favorite part. I know. I just want to see how many if I can insert (laughs) anus again. So if a person has poor methylation, which is phase two, then they can have more symptoms of high estrogen or they can be estrogen dominant from it. Because as you said, the estrogen metabolites can be recirculated back into the body instead of moving on to phase three. Your favorite phase. My favorite. You can say it again. Passing through the anus. (laughs) Why do people have poor methylation? You mean people like me? Yes, I mean failing methylation people like you. Your gauge is at E. I want to know why. Okay, well, people like me. 
are doing very poorly at methylation for various reasons. First, one reason could be nutrient deficiencies, and another reason could be genetic defects and enzymes. So many of us have heard of the gene, the MTHFR gene. This has been commonly talked about with methylation and the MTHFR gene, and people are testing for it and wondering if they have gene variations with the MTHFR gene. Another gene that can affect methylation is the COMT gene. So how do I know this? Well, it's because I got my DNA results from a company called 23andMe, and this has become quite popular in the United States and in some parts of Europe because it can give you your DNA for either your ancestry or you can do your ancestry and your health. So I went ahead and I did my ancestry and my health. And then when I got back the DNA results, I went and I put them through a couple other websites that my naturopath recommended. And what these third-party websites do is that they analyze the raw data of your DNA and they let you know how you're doing with methylation and detoxification and they let you know if you have gene variants. What I learned from my DNA is that actually my MTHFR gene is just fine. Oh, thank you. Another thing Thank that's goodness. going right. Another thing that's going well in my body. Good job, jeans. Good when, job. When's the other Good shoe going to drop? DMA. It's already down. I have two SNPs or variations on the CUMT gene that are homozygous. And what are you saying? I'm building up and I'm all science, Brittany. So Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so basically we have two copies of most of the genes that we are born with, right? So we have one from each biological parent. So having gene variations can impair gene function. As we said, there are two copies. We can have a gene variation, or to be more specific, a mutation at a specific location in a specific gene. A mutation? Mutated genes? That sounds scary. I don't like it. It is scary, Brittany, dealing with the consequences, (laughs) the potential consequences of genes not working the way that they should (laughs) She says as she cries over her own mutated genes. (laughs) Accurate. Oh. So we can have no mutation and no copies, which is considered normal. Or we can have a mutation on one copy, which is called a heterozygous mutation. Or we can have a mutation on both copies, which is what I have. (laughs) Lucky duck. (laughs) Which is called a homozygous mutation. We do want to be clear that just because a gene has a SNP mutation doesn't mean that that gene is defective or non-functioning, only that it's working at an altered efficiency. So this might be that it's working at a higher efficiency than normal or a lower efficiency or something else. So unfortunately, both copies of my genes, so one from each parent, have a mutation at the same two specific locations on the COMT gene. All right, so two mutations at two locations. Ooh, little poet. Oh, right. Little rhyming. <laughs> <laughs> two times two is four. That's four. Oh, the unlucky number four. Ah, here's its ugly head. Oh, God. <laughs> it's haunting me. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Okay, so why is this important? We got all nerdy with my genes, but actually, wow. Genes are really interesting, but why is that important is because going back to, <laughs> I forgot, we already forgot what we were talking about, so we got so into the genes. 
going back to methylation. So going back to the estrogen and the liver and the phase two detoxification, which is the methylation of the estrogen. As we said, we can have poor methylation because of genetic defects and enzymes. For example, like the COMT gene. <laughs> Which mine is not okay. Not okay at all. I'm going to call my mom when I finish this episode. I'm going to be like, Mom, you did this to me. She'll be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. The COMT what? I'll be like, <laughs> What's methyl? Methyl who? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that a new friend, honey? No. <laughs> we can't blame them, okay? <laughs> so that COMT gene is involved in metabolizing estrogen. Having this gene have a variation can mean that a person can't clear out estrogen well. And the genetic mutations that I have on the gene make it more likely that I have lowered COMT enzymatic activity. So the variants that I have have been researched into quite heavily. And so there's a lot of information available about how this variation can potentially affect the body. And there's more. Of course there's more. Oh, God. Oh, geez. Actually, I don't even want to say it. But you must. (laughs) This is the podcast. You must. (laughs) Share. Overshare. Okay. Share with the kingdom. Lowered COMT activity, like I have, can make a person sensitive to stress. Oh, no. I know. That that actually makes a lot of sense to me. And so when I get stressed, I have a really hard time calming down. So lowered COMT gene activity can also make me anxious and panicky. Do I have like zero COMT gene? (laughs) Do I have like none? I just don't have any. (laughs) And also this gene variation that I have, oh, it's really bad, can make a person more Uh sensitive Uh to, Uh wait for it, wait for it, waiting, to pain. Validation. The unlucky number four. Your genes made you do it. (laughs) It's the unlucky number four. Oh, my goodness. That's terribly unlucky. But no, I do think, like, honestly, going down this path that I'm on with the natural path right now on the getting my hormones tested and getting a look at my DNA and putting them through these sites that are able to look at my gene variations and my methylation and my detoxification of my body and It's starting to answer so many questions that I have about why my body is the way it is, i.e. all screwed up in so many ways. This COMT gene mutation has been studied quite a bit because it's somewhat common. So I feel better knowing that I'm not alone or rare. I'm not special. (laughs) I could have told you that. (laughs) Thanks, Brittany. (laughs) So if you also have a snip on your COMT gene, reach out to me. Well, beside the validation, because I remember when you were reading the book Dirty Genes, which has a whole chapter on this gene mutation, it's like it was describing you literally to a T. I know. It's like it was written about me. (laughs) Well, both with the strengths, but also the weaknesses that having these specific gene variations can mean. It was honestly fascinating. It still is fascinating to me. Having this knowledge opens a door to more paths a person can go down in terms of healing, working, of course, with a qualified doctor. Our gene function is influenced by foods and vitamins, the way we live. So learning what can help and hurt the gene function is so empowering. This is the science of epigenetics, which is the study of how behaviors and environment can cause changes that affect the way our genes work. We are not doomed by our genes. 
definitely we are not doomed by our genes, and that is so empowering. And like I said, I'll link the book Dirty Genes in the show notes, but it blew my mind. It focuses on seven key genes and how when they're not working correctly, it can influence the way that we feel and cause both strengths and weaknesses. Like there are good things about having what I have with the lowered COMT function. Like I'm really good at focusing and I'm really energetic and enthusiastic. But then there are also the really bad things like I'm very prone to stress and I'm more sensitive to pain and I don't clear my estrogen. Does that sound like you? Maybe you too have a snip on your COMT gene. So there are great, pros and cons. There are great things and there are horrible things. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I do think and I have heard other doctors say that really genetics is going to be the way of the future. We're always wondering why when one person takes something, why does that affect people differently? I even heard some endometriosis surgeons discussing in a podcast I was listening to recently about how gene therapy is probably going to be the way of the future for endometriosis because through our genes, we hopefully will be able to see who's going to respond well to trying to help their symptoms with progesterone or who might have a more prevalence for pain after surgery. I think that gene therapy is going to open all these doors to the future. And it's just really fascinating to have gotten my genes and to take a look and say, oh, okay, well, I have these variants. And so this actually explains a lot of the problems that I'm having in my body. So everyone go get their genes tested. No, no, if you want, <laughs> if you want. But it's really interesting. And I will say that on 23andMe.com, the kit is $200, but I got it during the holidays and it was half off. Ooh, yeah. a so, bargain. As we know, in the United States, oftentimes the period between Thanksgiving and the New Year is a time of a lot of deals and bargains. And so if you're interested, that might be a good time. Hopefully they're going to have another deal. Ah, so one more thing is that I use the company 23andMe. So what they do is they do DNA genotyping and not DNA sequencing. And sequencing is really what's going to be the next step in personalized medicine because with DNA sequencing, they look at all of your DNA, whereas with genotyping, they look at a tiny fraction of your DNA. But of course, you can still get good information out of that DNA genotyping. So I'm going to put a link in our resources tab. I feel like the resources It's just tab, growing and it's, growing. It's going to be so long for this episode. That's because, wow, there's so many different facets of your estrogen detoxification. And it's fascinating. And there's probably going to be like 40 resources in the resources tab. <laughs> but I will put an article that explains the differences and compares different companies if you have become interested in getting your DNA looked at. All right, so returning, I feel like we keep going off on the tangent and then returning, but it's all connected. It's all interconnected, and it's all so fascinating. And it's a bowl of spaghetti. And it all touches each other. <laughs> and the human body is just so fascinating, and I think it's just this is so many examples of how Western medicine has put the body in silos. Like, oh, the hormones and the ovaries are totally separate from the whole rest of the body. It's like, no, they're all connected. They all affect The hormones each other. are connected with the liver, and the liver is connected with the anus. And the anus is connected to the foot. No, it's not. But who knows? It <laughs> In could some be. way, maybe. I don't Probably. know. Probably. <laughs> this is why we need holistic medical care and not just individual siloed medical care. So what I've been learning about 
ways to help phase two detoxification in the liver and the poor clearing out of estrogen due to the poor methylation is that there are certain supplements that can help support methylation, such as magnesium, SGS, B vitamins, methionine, and there are others. So there are many things that can help with methylation. And in my own case, working on my natural path, I'm actually on three of these things right now. I have noticed that in taking them in a month, they are helping. Like I've noticed that my histamine has gone down and I'm having less hot flashes and I'm more able to sleep through the night. And that's just from adding magnesium and B vitamins and SGS. And that's because that's what my body needs. Like I know what isn't working and I'm able to laser focus on what isn't working instead of just being like, oh, my hormones all screwed up. Like, where do I start? Or what do I do? Or, oh, I heard this supplement is good. I'll try it. Or I've been doing that for so many years of trial and error for like a decade before excision surgery, I would research, oh, my gut's all screwed up. So, oh, this is good for the gut. Let me try. Or, But now I'm in a place where I'm able to get testing done and work with these doctors and actually have a much more specific sense of direction. And it's making a huge change in the way I feel. So I really hope that if this is something that interests you, if Getting your hormones tested is interesting to you or working with a natural path or a functional medicine doctor. I hope that's something that you'll be able to do. We have talked about so much that my head is literally spinning. Like not literally, but literally yeah, spinning. It is spinning. She looks like one of those toys for the little tops that you like put on the table and you spin them and they spin around and they're oh, sparkly. I was thinking more of the exorcist, but you know, different <laughs> imagination for different folks. That's what Brittany's <laughs> head looks like right now to me. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, of course, all of this information in this very long episode seems overwhelming, and it is overwhelming, but that's because I feel like new information is always really overwhelming at the beginning. There's so much more to this estrogen metabolism process as well. Oh my God, really? Yeah. We've just provided a simplified version. Now my head is spinning. (laughs) You're welcome. Exorcist style. Yes, yes. She's spitting out pea soup at me. So we've just provided a really simplified version. It's not fully you called complete. that simplified? Yes. Oh, yes, wow. I do. <laughs> I oh. hate to see what the complicated version is. Well, we would need to be here all day to talk about the complicated well, version. Well, let's do that. That'll be fun. I'll just go pee first. No, thank you. So <laughs> we didn't really talk about all of the estrogen metabolites or what happens with 16-hydroxy-E1 or what the ratios of 2 and 16-hydroxy-E1 can mean or all the enzymes involved, or the transporters that move the estrogen out of the cells so we can excrete them in the urine, or... Through the anus! Yes, through the (laughs) anus. (laughs) We gave a bird's eye view. Thank you, little crow. So we can walk away a little more empowered and knowing... A lot more empowered, excuse me. Okay, you're excused. I feel a lot more empowered. (laughs) Good, I'm glad you do. So we'll walk away feeling a lot more empowered and knowing something more about estrogen metabolism than we did before this episode. Oh, definitely. Like that estrogen goes through the liver and has different pathways and can be influenced by our genes. Honestly, I didn't know any of that. We have some research articles and videos that we're going to put in our ever-growing resources tab. So if you want to really delve deep, definitely go there and jump in the pool of estrogen detox. Is the pool heated? Is it chlorinated? It's whatever you want inated. Well, I don't want it to be chlorinated because with my COMT gene mutation, 
if I accidentally ingest chlorine, then I'll probably have trouble detoxing it. She's going to use this for everything the rest of our lives. <laughs> well, I can't actually be in the room with you because I have trouble detoxing from time with you. So goodbye. <laughs> That's a great way to get rid of social vampires. <laughs> You're like, look, I have a gene mutation. That means I have really slow clearance of toxic things. So, so <laughs> you're toxic and you need to leave. <laughs> it's wonderful. We should all use that. No, but I mentioned it, Brittany, because I wanted to say that phase one and phase two of estrogen detox happen in the liver. And so, of course, one way we can help our estrogen is by helping our liver. Doing things like avoiding alcohol and toxins, social vampires included. ultra-processed food, sodas, and other things that burden the liver. Avoiding things that hurt the liver can help your estrogen detoxification because you're loving that liver. And self-love for a liver. We never heard of that before. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now we're on to the final phase and Amy's absolute favorite phase. Pooping. Yes. Number three, the estrogen passing through the anus. You mean number two. Well, it is number two, but the phase is number three. (laughs) It's number two in the anus, but number three in the phase, sis. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so phase three of estrogen clearance is pooping. Yes. Or should we say pooing? I think pooing sounds a bit more eloquent than pooping. (laughs) I mean, saying pooping with an American English accent. I mean, like, pooping. Yeah, oh, we're like, going to go pooping. It sounds so crass. <laughs> <laughs> the American accent is so crass. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to go poop, man. <laughs> oh, dude, I got to poop. <laughs> wow. She's got her frat bro down. Thank you. <laughs> that's how we talk in my household. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the pooing does sound a little bit more posh. I mean, it sounds so eloquent. Yeah, it sounds much nicer. The Queen's English always improves everything. <laughs> pooing. That sounds nicer. Now, we are imitating a British accent, but we and do we're, so we're because not British. yeah, we even though we're not British, we're those loudmouth Americans who poop a lot, <laughs> poop out of our mouths. But <laughs> but we love the Queen's English, and I actually lived in the UK for a period of time and work currently with many whatever Britain. Who cares? I'm gonna one up you, okay? Because I was dating a Brit for seven years, and we married. And then we divorce. But if you don't focus on the fact that we're no longer <laughs> so together, one up? <laughs> I, <laughs> then I want you to write, no. What you need to focus on is the fact okay, that I was okay. with a Brit okay. who I eventually married for seven years. Gotcha. So me and the Queen's English, the Queen's English was you in heard my it every home. day. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I heard the Queen's English <laughs> when he was pooing. <laughs> Did he talk while he was pooing? I mean, sometimes you talk when you're pooing, but like all the time. No. Okay. But I just want to throw that out there. (laughs) All right, all right. So when we use use an English accent to say pooing, it's more out of love, homage, and honoring how much better it sounds than pooping. It's appreciation because (laughs) the Americans, when the Americans talk, that's how my Spanish boyfriend always imitates (laughs) us. When the Americans talk, we really poop out of our mouths, man. (laughs) So... So we're just going to stick with something a little bit nicer, okay? Pooing. <laughs> this pooing. whole section is about pooing. And also, doesn't pooing sound better than when you defecate estrogen? Ew, well, when, right? <laughs> even when you try to get scientific about... When you pass ooh. estrogen from your stool? Oh, gosh. Whoa. Oh, Lord. <laughs> sounds even worse. What else do you do? Bad words we can't say. Yeah, <laughs> this is a clean podcast. So, yeah, I think pooing is okay, really our pooing. best option here. 
Now that we've established our protocol pronunciation for pooing, one way we can eliminate estrogen is via pooing. So, if you're constipated or not regular, your body can reabsorb that estrogen. Oh my God, again? <laughs> yes. Yes. This estrogen will not stop. It's ruthless. I think it might have a fear of the anus. I mean, it has a fear of being kicked out of the nest. Like, please, I just, it doesn't want to go through the anus door. Ooh. Or would it be a window? It's a tunnel. <laughs> it's a tunnel with a cave at the end, a <laughs> cave entrance. Now, you may remember that way back when we did an episode on the gut microbiome, we talked about all the amazing things it can do and how it can influence our health and also make us go to the fridge for snacks and take control of our brain somewhat. Ooh, yeah, that zombie craving. Yeah, you zombie remember. <laughs> Two in the morning, you're like, why am I eating chips? I don't remember. Where getting... did I even get these chips? I don't remember getting out of bed. <laughs> you look down, you're not wearing any pants. You're like, did I drive to the store like this? <laughs> yes, yes, you probably did. Oh, God. <laughs> so research has revealed that the gut also has a huge impact on pooing. Makes sense. We already knew that. I mean, pooing, Brittany. Pooing. <laughs> Excuse me, pooing. <laughs> but hormone balance, it does. Okay, wait. So the gut impacts pooing. Yes. Yeah, we knew that. I don't know why you mentioned that. Ugh, to reaffirm how okay. much it affects our pooing. To confirm <laughs> that, yeah, the place where the poo lives is affected by the place where it lives. Yes. Okay. But oh my gosh, really? So the gut affects hormone? Hormone balance. balance. Yes. Wow. Well, there's quite a few ways it can affect the hormones. And we're going to talk about more of the ways in the episode with the progesterone and testosterone. But in this episode, we are going to focus still on the estrogen. We also want to mention something that your gut has called the estrobilome. Is that a deli meat? Do you go up to the <laughs> deli counter? You're like, okay, I want to get some slices estrobilome. Some Swiss cheese and then the olive ciabatta bread. I'm going to make myself a nice sandwich <laughs> later. Some tomatoes. Sounds kind of like stromboli. Kind of like <laughs> estrobolone. Estrobolone. I feel like I'm going to go down to my Italian market and be like, I want the mozzarella balls, the cipollini onions, and the estrobolome. <laughs> my roots are showing. Oh, God. I want my mom's home-cooked Italian food right now. Oh, the Italian in us really like the word estrobolome. Okay. <laughs> So what is it, Brittany? What is this estrobilum? Estro- I'm getting estrobilum. confused. <laughs> all the accents are coming out in all the different languages. The Italian came out. The, the English Spanish came, came out. out. Okay. The Queen's English. Estrobilum. <laughs> Brittany, what is the estrobilum? The estrobilum is a collection. Of postage stamps. Of coins. Of butterflies. Ew, who does that? I don't know. Oh, poor babies. No, don't worry. It's not that. It's actually a collection of gut microbes. Not as exciting or beautiful. No, but important. And these gut microbes metabolize estrogen. You see? Estrogen. Estrobolome. Yeah, you get it? The microbiome, estrogen. Ooh. Yeah, Estro it's all in that word. Biome, estrobolome. Mm-hmm. Estrobolome. But I still want to eat it with Swiss yeah. on ciabatta bread. That's fair. I want to okay. eat anything on <laughs> ciabatta bread. <laughs> So when the estrobilome is in balance, it's all good. Doing what it's supposed to do. Move an estrogen towards the anus tunnel to be pooed out of the cave. Brittany, to be pooed. Pooed out of the cave. You're failing us. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> We're sorry, everyone. We're sorry. <laughs> 
But when there's gut dysbiosis, which is when you have an imbalance of the good and bad bacteria. Hold on. I have that right now. Yeah, your life. <laughs> oh, jeez. Why do I have more bad things than good things in this episode? Because this is what happens sometimes, that's okay? that's the way the body works with <laughs> yeah, endometriosis. That's life, okay? okay. We collectively who have gut dysbiosis have more bad bacteria than we should have. Yes. And that can affect your estrogen clearance, obviously, with all of the problems that it's causing. Of course it can. <laughs> Now, the microbes in the estrobilome produce something called beta-glucuronidase. Ooh, that sounds bad. <laughs> well, beta-glucuronidase is an enzyme, and the activity can undo the hard work of the liver, rude, and take the neutralized, conjugated metabolites of estrogen and deconjugate them. <gasps> what does all that mean? It sounds really terrible. They can <laughs> deconjugate the metabolites. Wait, I know what the metabolites are because they're the two, the four, and the 16. Mm -hmm. But what does it mean to deconjugate them? I know. Wait, hold on. My brain is working. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm seeing it work I'm out I'm trying well. to earn the estrobolome with the Swiss on <laughs> olive ciabatta bread. Okay, I'm going to get my A plus in phase three. So deconjugate, wait, you said they can undo the hard work of the liver. Don't tell me that. <laughs> I think you got it. <laughs> it can unbind the estrogen and make it active again. Yes. And what will that do? Oh, wait, wait. Wait, I already know the answer. Yeah, yeah. It will do the thing that estrogen is loving to do, that it will do anything to do. Then it can go recirculate Just in the body. Around. Ooh, this yep. estrogen is so bad. Yes. Then it can recirculate in the body and then it can bind. Be reabsorbed. With the receptors, the estrogen mm -hmm. receptors. Oh my gosh. Wow. It's a sneaky sneak. Here's a good analogy. Your liver, through the process that we already talked about, went and packaged estrogen in a beautiful box with shiny blue wrapping paper or green or purple. Depends on your color preferences. Okay. Or pink. Or if you're Britney. We don't have to list them all. Gray. So that's Britney. You know what? You didn't have to shame me, but here you did. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite colors are black, white, and gray. And if you don't like that, well, then I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's in this beautifully wrapped box with a silver ribbon. And you know the ribbon, they took the scissors and they curled it, so the ribbon got all curly. Do you know what I'm talking Six about? Six-inch ribbon curls. Oh, <laughs> Six inches. And they're gorgeous. <laughs> and additionally, there's a huge bow on top. Oh. So that is the box. And inside of that box is the estrogen. So the estrogen that passed through the liver in phase one and phase two is put in that beautiful, beautiful box. And then you're going to poo it out of your anus. Okay, so... Okay, <laughs> you're going to fit that box and the ribbon. Ugh. Beautiful box. Don't through your anus. Forget the adjectives. You're, you're, you're going to put it, it's going to go through your anus. That sounds very cornery and angular and painful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brittany, use your imagination. It's a tiny box, a beautiful <laughs> tiny box. Okay. But what beta-glucuronidase does... It wants to get to that estrogen in the box. So it takes <gasps> the bow off of the box and it stomps on it. Oh. it, stomps on that bow. And then it unties the ribbon and then it goes, oh, this ribbon with the perfect curl, I'm going to shred that. So it goes oh. and it cuts it up and it shreds it up. And then it takes the paper, the beautiful, shiny blue paper off of the box and it rudely crumples it so that you cannot reuse the paper for future gifts. Amy's horror. Beta glucuronidase does not like to reduce, reuse, recycle. Oh. Terrible. Rude. Get out of here. Okay. 
and it opens the box and then it goes, <laughs> go ahead, estrogen, get out, escape. And it gives an evil cackle. <laughs> of course it would. This and sounds that purely evil. Is what beta glucuronidase does. It takes the hard work of the liver who put it in that beautiful box that was about to pass out of the anus, the shape shifting anus, and it takes the estrogen and it puts the estrogen back into circulation in the body. That is just cruel after all that work. How could you? How could you, beta-glucuronidase? Now, on the other hand, if the microbes in the estrobilum are not producing beta-glucuronidase the way that they're supposed to, it could exacerbate a low estrogen state like that of people who are menopausal. So it's really important that the gut is in balance. Yes. Not too much, not too little. Everything has to be a perfect balance. Yeah, your gut health doesn't just affect things in your gut. It also affects things like this, which is wild, overwhelming, a little bit scary. (laughs) Well, we're not doomed here. No doom and gloom. Well, a little bit of doom and gloom. But then there's things that you can do. Ooh, that's what we should call our Netflix series. (laughs) A little bit of doom and gloom. (laughs) A little bit of doom and gloom. (laughs) I like that. I'd watch it. So there are a couple of things that you can do to help your gut microbiome. Things like diet, probiotics, and some of the other ways that we actually already talked about in our episode on gut health. <gasps> oh, so go back and listen. Yes. We're going to go back and listen, too. <laughs> It'll be helpful. We I'm all need go it. back and listen to what I should do. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a supplement called calcium D-glucarate, which is a potent beta-glucuronidase inhibitor. Wow. Did anyone understand all that gibberish <laughs> that Brittany just said? Well, it's a supplement, okay? Calcium D-glucrate, but talk to your doctor before starting any supplements like that. Of for course. sure. For sure. So what you're saying is you said it's a potent. Potent. Gosh, Brittany. <laughs> Most potent. <laughs> so it is a potent inhibitor. So stops the activity or inhibits or slows or diminishes or decreases. Yes, all those synonyms. <laughs> <laughs> the activity of the beta-glucuronidase. Exactly. Which is what can... Stop our estrogen from exiting our body like it's supposed to. Well, it's nice to know that there are ways to help the gut and that there are supplements or that there are lifestyle or dietary or probiotic choices that we can make to help our estrobilum and our gut bacteria in general. So I think that's really hopeful and promising. But I want to add to the doom and gloom. So we just had a little bit of hope. Now we're going to have a little bit of gloom. Then we're going to have a little bit of hope. And then we're going to have a little bit of gloom. Oscillate between the two. So a little bit of gloom here is that gut dysbiosis can also increase the production of the 4-hydroxy-E1. No shocker there. Of course it's number four. (laughs) Unlucky four. So if you remember, the 4-hydroxy-E1 metabolite is one of the ones that we don't want to have excess production of because in excess, it can potentially be harmful. So it can increase the production of the 4 and and the 16 And then conversely, on the other hand, on the doom and gloom hand, it can also decrease the production of the 2-metabolite, the 2-hydroxy-E1 metabolite, which, as we said, was the safer one, was the wanted one, which is the one I'm acing 90%. Yeah, I got my A. She ignores her inability to methylate. (laughs) (laughs) Quiet, Brittany. We're talking about Facebook right now. Okay. Okay, so basically gut dysbiosis can also affect the metabolites. So really... Gut biosis is a bad, bad thing that we do not want for so many reasons, which we talked about in episodes on gut. 
definitely if you think you're having problems with your gut, you're having gut symptoms, or you're not pooing well, or you're having a lot of bloating, or constipation, or diarrhea, or all the different things that you associate with our gut, that's definitely something that we want to try to get addressed because as we're seeing, the gut influences so much, so much of our entire body, including our hormones. And our hormones influence our endometriosis. So I'm going to get my gut fixed ASAP. <laughs> there are processes in our bodies that affect our endometriosis in ways that we don't even know about or don't even expect. I'm seriously shocked, flabbergasted, and yeah. fascinated. But the cool thing is that this means that there are things we can do, like work on our gut dysbiosis, to positively affect how our endometriosis symptoms present. So I think it's a really cool and unique thing to learn about this. To hopefully positively yeah, affect. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. I like, we're on the hope phase right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're speaking we about positive. But no, generally speaking, to hopefully affect. Yes. So the very final thing that we want to talk about is your pooing. Naturally, of course. And we did mention ways in the gut episode to help with your pooing. So as we keep saying, go back and listen if you haven't already. But, you know, since we do poo out our estrogen, we do want to make sure that we're having those good, proper, amazing, alleviating bowel movements. Wow. That sounded <laughs> satisfying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ready for a good poo. <laughs> Come to my party for the two hydroxy E1. I hope you can sit next to me on the toilet, Brittany. We can hold hands <laughs> okay. and we can poo uh. together. <laughs> so quickly, we just want to say that a lot of people, like an easy way to help if you're having constipation, a lot of people take magnesium. Magnesium is, for many people, like a natural laxative, and it can help with your poo. A lot of us are also deficient in magnesium, and you can get your magnesium levels tested with the doctor. I personally am taking magnesium for many years, and it definitely really helped me with a lot of my leg pain that I was having when my periods were coming, and I would have just outrageous leg pain during my periods and pre-period, and the magnesium really helped with that. So magnesium can have a lot of benefits in the body. So if you're interested, do some research. There are different kinds of magnesium, so you, know, you can see what works for you. And again, always talk to your doctor before starting any supplements. Problems with any of the aspects we talked about today, such as pooing, methylation, or the metabolites, can lead to estrogen dominance or symptoms of high estrogen. Okay, so what you're basically saying is that estrogen just wants to flood my body. It's estrogen so doesn't want to just means. flood your body. Estrogen actually wants to become your body, so you don't have one anymore. You are just a blob of estrogen. You're just a big walking estrogen. <laughs> That's what it wants. I kind of feel like I'm a big walking estrogen. Yeah, it feels relatable. <laughs> So we have talked today about so much estrogen from the ovaries to the anus, A to Z. I'm going to dream about methylation now. Dream about my methylation and maybe like think positively about it. <laughs> think to positive see if you thoughts. Can try to affect my I'll try my methylation. darndest. <laughs> Today's episode was super laser focused on our estrogen. In an upcoming episode, we're going to be talking about progesterone and testosterone and how lifestyle affects them, how diet and insulin levels affect our hormones, and then another episode on hormone replacement therapy. All the things I need to know about right now because my hormones are all screwed up. They're all over the place. They're all screwed up. <laughs> Same, me too. I can't wait to learn more. Remember that all the resources are in the show notes in our resources tab, and I do think that the resources that we consulted are 
like we said at the beginning, just really good if you're interested in this topic to go learn more. There's some interesting podcasts and books and articles. And we want to highlight our friend and fellow Endo Warrior, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. (laughs) Hi, Brittany. Oh. That was me. Sorry. Yeah, I know. But I just like to pretend. (laughs) So Melissa runs a blog called 86 The Endo. And perhaps many of you listening are aware of Melissa via her blog or her Instagram. She has a really nice blog post, a five-part series that she did on estrogen dominance, and she talks about different ways to help it. And Melissa is a registered nurse and, of course, a patient advocate for endo. That's wonderful. And also, Melissa has a planner. This is a planner that she designed herself. And the purpose is to empower fellow patients with endometriosis. And so the planners are really nice. You can track your symptoms with graphs and charts. There's an outline of the body. So then you can go ahead and you can mark directly on the body where your pain is. Plus, you can track your lifestyle changes, your dietary triggers, and more. My favorite thing is that it's all in one place and it's a really effective tool to bring to your doctor and show them a whole overview of what you're experiencing. Or you can take your planner with you and you can show it to your friends when they're like, oh no, your coworkers when they're like, you're still sick. And you can open your planner like last month and last week and yesterday and be like, look, you see my dietary triggers? You see where I marked all (laughs) the See these causes and reactions? All over my body? Yeah, I'm still sick. Thank you. And you're welcome for this beautiful visual aid so you can understand. (laughs) No, but it's really key with endometriosis or any disease or honestly really anything in life to be organized. So that'll be linked in our show notes today, her planner and her five-part series on estrogen dominance. And that's also on her website, 86theendo.com. Also, we'd love if you would rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Nice five-star review, not... A four-star review by any means, not the four, not the big four. (laughs) No, because the four is death. I don't want the four. Oh, okay. The angry four. We don't need any Yeah, we don't need the, oh, the four. So, But you're okay with threes and twos and ones. I mean, if that's what people feel, then yeah. (laughs) But just no fours. It's your honest opinion. I mean, okay. I prefer the four over the three, the two, and the one. But (laughs) if you're between the four and the five, (laughs) don't go for the four. (laughs) It's unlucky number four. Don't go for the four. (laughs) And finally... We hope if you took away anything from this episode, it's the fun way that we can say the word pooing. Please write us or, ooh, even better, send us a voice recording of you saying the word pooing. Or send us your recipe for your astrobolome sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us what bread you'd put it on and what cheese you'd eat with it. Thank you so much for listening. We're on Instagram in 16 years of endo. We're on the website in 16years.com. That's where all the resources are located as well. Thanks so much. And we'll talk to you next time. 